Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. Now, although we should not make this a rigid rigid formula, as you guys know, I'm not a formula-oriented teacher. I believe there's way too much of that that are looking constantly for formulas in the Scriptures. And then when we think we find a formula, we capitalize on it, we write books about it, we preach on it, and and suddenly there's a formula. But, But I don't believe the Bible was ever tended to be a book of formulas but it most certainly is a book that reveals spiritual truth. And I believe that there's spiritual truth, a spiritual pattern that's given to us here that we should not ignore, that we need to consider. I believe that our ministry for the gospel should begin in our Jerusalem. What do I mean by our Jerusalem? Well, I mean in our homes and to our family members and and to those closest to us, our closest friends. That's our our Jerusalem. And, And then... We're to to set our focus on going out to our Judea, the surrounding regions that our lives touch, our workplaces, the schools we attend, our neighborhoods, our communities. And after that, our focus should shift to Samaria, the outer areas, and then to the ends of the earth, to places and peoples that we don't necessarily know or even have much in common with, and yet we're to take the gospel to them. Now, again, I'm not suggesting this is a rigid formula to apply or that God expects us to apply, but there is a spiritual principle in this that we would do well to to pay attention to. I have found that far too many Christians are happy to reach out to the world. They're happy to send money out or even engage in missions trips to the ends of the earth, but they've ignored ministering in their own homes. They've failed to to maintain a witness to those closest to them and, and in the communities where they live, to those that they come in continual contact with in their workplaces or in school or where they do business. I believe that we need to realize that our lives in Christ and our witness and our ministries for Him touches all areas. And, and we have to have the focus that Jesus had, that ministry begins at home and then moves outward from there. And to fail to recognize that can lead to wrong views of our witness and ministries for Jesus. We can't minister to others, not effectively, not as we should, without first being willing to share the gospel and ministering in our own homes and surrounding regions first. You know, I remember oftentimes hearing pastors tell young wannabe pastors that that uh, were growing up in some of the churches that I was in in Calvary Chapel, and one of the expressions I often heard them is as the young guys would say, man, I just, I know the Lord's called me to be a pastor. I just don't see the doors opening. I don't know how I get to minister. And, and, and I've heard so many times guys look at them and say, well, you are a pastor. Well, what do you mean by that? You're the pastor of your home, aren't you? You're leading your home in the things of the Lord, aren't you? You're being a witness in your own home, aren't you? The sad answer to that is in many cases, the answer would be no. Now look, this is not about perfection, but it is about saying that our heart needs to be ministering to those closest to us first. Now, with that said, oftentimes that's the most difficult. Why? 
Because as we're going to see with Jesus, it can also be the place where the experience is such that we experience the, the greatest rejection and the resistance as we serve as his witnesses. Oftentimes, it's our family members, it's our friends, it's those closest to us who reject and, 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 and refuse to hear the good news that we're bringing to them. My, my mom, which I often bring up, was an example of this truth before she came to faith in Christ. She rejected the gospel witness that I brought to her that I felt compelled to bring to my own home. But but why would we be surprised that we meet such resistance in those situations when Jesus himself is rejected by his own family members and, as we're going to see in a moment, by his own community for the message that he brought? And yet, yet, knowing that that would be the case, he still chose to begin there, as should we. And so here, at the formal opening of his ministry, Luke tells us that it's in the synagogue located in his hometown of Nazareth that Jesus rises and he reads from the Scriptures. Now, a couple of important things to understand of what's taking place here, cultural things to some degree, the the synagogue. He he reads it in the synagogue. He goes to the synagogue. We're going to see Jesus doing this often. He'll go to the synagogue. By Jesus' day, the local synagogues were very, very common. They were in each small community, and they were not, as sometimes Christians will, uh, or our Western mindset misperceives, they were not many temples. But they were simply places where the people would assemble for prayer, for worship, for study of God's Word, and for ministry. Now, they developed as a, a, a result of the Babylonian exile when the people no longer had access to go and worship in the formal temple. And they established these, these small, if you will, they'd be the equivalent of our church-like facilities. They established these communities of faith where they could maintain the religious growth and practices and to maintain their cultural identity. But again, unlike the temple, there were no sacrifices offered. And many of the other rituals associated with the temple were not a part of the ministry of the local synagogue. They were not, as many of us might think of them, as many temples, but simply a place where Jews could gather locally for ministry and for religious discussion and education. The Jewish philosopher Philo referred to the synagogue as houses of instruction where the philosophy of the fathers and all manner of virtues were taught. But but Jesus... He, he knew this culture and he honored this cultural religious establishment as he goes to the local synagogues at the opening of his ministry. In fact, Luke tells us that this had been Jesus' custom all of his life to participate in the synagogue, as was his custom, Luke says. Now, secondly note, when he's there, he reads from the Scriptures. We're told that Jesus rose and he read from the scriptures, and that was a part of the practice in the synagogues. Now, unlike Christian churches today where the pastor is primarily responsible for leading and teaching the people, in the synagogues, although there might have been a rabbi in charge, generally anyone, any man in the congregation or a visiting rabbi or a visiting teacher who considered himself qualified to teach was at liberty to do so. And common Israelite men were also permitted to participate in the public reading of Scripture. And so both as a Jewish man permitted to read like this, and with his reputation quickly growing as a great rabbi, which is what's happening amongst the people, Jesus stands up and he begins to read. Look in verse 17. Verse 17 tells us, And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. 
And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, it was the custom in the synagogue for a man to stand while he was reading the scriptures. But then when he was finished reading, he would take his seat and then he would begin to expound on that portion of the scriptures that he's just read. And Jesus is following this customary pattern. Jesus rises, he takes the scriptures, which would have been on scrolls in that day, and, 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 and he opens it up to the book of Isaiah, and he reads specifically from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And then he returns to his seat. And Luke tells us that everyone focuses on him. They're looking at him. It says their eyes are on him. Why? Because they're waiting for him now to give the customary commentary, which he then gives them by simply saying this, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, some more important things to note. If you like take notes, today's a great day to do it. We're moving fast, but there's a lot of points here. (laughs) Number one, note this. Many people, myself included, believe that the passage which Jesus opened to and read was not a passage that Jesus himself decided upon when he stood up there. Jesus, I believe, did not walk up and say, well, let's see, what scroll shall I read today? No, the scroll was prepositioned for him. It was most likely a prepositioned passage that was determined in advance in the synagogue itself that was ready for him to read that day. So what? Well, I hope your brains are clicking on this one already. If that's true, this tells us that God ordained this very moment and that that he had orchestrated everything so that in this very moment, this would be the passage that Jesus would open and read to the people. Have you ever come to a scripture in your personal reading, maybe your quiet time, your devotions? That was exactly what you needed to hear. Did you ever come maybe to fellowship when we were watching now online or, or whether when we gathered, you know, as we did that, did you ever come and, and, and on a particular day when you got there, there was just the right message for you and you'd scratch your head. I know there are people here who've been a part of this fellowship for some time that would say, be nodding their heads right now because I've heard you. You've come to me and say, you had me in mind when you wrote this. And I'm like, no, I had no idea. In fact, I prepared the message a couple of weeks ago for this week. <laughs> I knew that, that the Lord has his timing. I'm just expositing the scriptures. If it met you today, it's because the Lord prepositioned that message for you today. But maybe you've experienced that, a passage that perfectly answered a question. It shed light on a situation that you were confused with or struggling with or just encouraged you. May I encourage you to approach God's word with an understanding that he works this way. That God works this way. God can orchestrate things so that you just happen to be in the right passage at the right moment, at the right time to address the very need that you have at that very moment. 
You know, I recall struggling over a decision about properties when we knew the Lord had had us in motion from the last facility we were in. But but there was some some conflicting input. A couple of folks felt that the Lord was opening a door to a property that we had had long looked at, a door that was still closed, but they felt the Lord was going to open the door to that, while some of us had a sense that it wasn't going to be that property, but it was going to be a different one. And I got to tell you, I was laying awake some nights struggling with not knowing which direction to go. Should I knock? harder on that door and see if it opens? Should I go down and look in this other area for facilities? What should we do? And I recall getting up one night, as was often my custom when I can't sleep, I get up and I go downstairs and I make a cup of tea and I'll pull out my Bible and I'll begin either to just read, but oftentimes I'll pick up my reading for the next day. I tend to go through the Bible in a year and my next reading happened to be Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verses 5 and 6. And so I'm just reading it, not thinking much about it, other than the fact I know that I'd gotten awake during the night and, and couldn't sleep over this, not knowing what to do, which direction to go. Not, In fact, the words I even used to, as I, in my own head was, I don't know how to sow my seed on this. I don't know where to sow the seed, what we should be looking at, where we should be putting our effort. Here's what Ecclesiastes 11, 5 and 6 said that very night. As you do not know what is the way of the wind, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed. And in the evening, do not withhold your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Now, as I said to the group this morning, if you're not standing in my shoes knowing what I went through, struggling and what the questions were in my heart, this, this isn't going to make the hair on your arm stand up the way it did on mine. But when I read this, I knew this was for me. I knew the Lord was answering my question. It was that clear. It was as though I could hear his voice speaking right out of that very passage and with words that I'd been even thinking. In the morning, sow your seed. Lord, where do I sow? Where do I put my effort? Sow your seed. Don't withhold your hand. What he's saying is just scatter. Just scatter. You don't know what I'm doing yet. Don't try to guess what I'm doing yet. Just scatter. You don't know which one's going to proper. Just sow your seed and let me develop it. And you know what the cool part of that is? When I did that, then it gave us a testimony because I didn't orchestrate things. I didn't plan things. I couldn't turn around and say, well, the building we're now in or the property that we now hold. And I got to tell you, praise the Lord, because he even knew when he gave us this building that this season of time was coming and he gave us acreage and we're able to meet out here on a Sunday morning at nine o'clock in the beautiful grounds this morning. But but I can't take claim for that because the Lord did it. I just scattered, and the folks here were just scattering their seed to see where the Lord would lead, and he did that. I knew in that moment that God was saying, so in both directions, and I'll make it clear which one will prosper. It was a perfectly timed passage for that very moment, and God had set in place that passage long before I had ever gotten to that moment in time. Do not underestimate. Let me say this clearly. Do not underestimate how God can do this. Even with messages that you hear from, from a pastor teaching as you hear, I would say, as we move verse by verse through the book of Scripture. You know, I've often had people say, well, don't you feel this topic would be appropriate for the time we're in or this topic? And my answer was, you know what, I'm committed to moving verse by verse, and I trust that the Lord knows what verse we need to be given in on a given Sunday to minister to you. I trust that before the foundations of the earth were ever laid, he knew what passage of Scripture we needed to be in on this very Sunday to minister to you. God has things perfectly timed in advance, and we see that here. Secondly, Jesus clearly attributed this passage to himself. 
There's no questions about it. This was a long accepted passage that the Jews knew as referring to their coming Messiah. And Jesus, without a doubt, is telling them that it was written about him and that he, standing before them in this very moment, was the fulfillment of it. So for those who say that Jesus never claimed to be Messiah, you're sorely mistaken. This simple statement makes the point clear that he absolutely did. And number three, in, in, in reading Isaiah, you will note, if you know these scriptures, that Jesus left out an important portion. Jesus actually stopped in the middle of what would have been verse two in our Bible. Remember, they didn't go by Bible verses, but Jesus stopped before he finished the entire thought in that last verse that we have there in verse two. Jesus actually stops there. Here's how the entire passage reads. This is directly from Isaiah 61, verses one and two. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Did you pick it up? You will note Jesus left out the reference to God's vengeance. Was this an oversight? Absolutely not. Jesus didn't accidentally leave it out. He left it intentionally out. Why? Because it didn't apply to his present ministry as it had to do with judgment, which was not what Jesus' present ministry in his first coming was all about. Later, Jesus will say about his own ministry, he'll say in John chapter 3, verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. In John chapter 12, verses 44 through 47, John records Jesus saying this, John 12, verse 44, Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. You see, Jesus declared that the, the purpose in his coming, his first coming, and that's important, his first arrival in the flesh to this earth wasn't to be a ministry of condemnation or judgment. So there was no need for him to read this portion of the text from Isaiah, which is speaking of these things. But remember, this is only true of the ministry associated with his first coming, which is what he was dealing with here in the synagogue, but not to the ministry or the mission of his second coming, which is what this portion of Isaiah he has left out has to do with. Jesus will return and he will fulfill that role as well. But that is a future role. It was a future role in the day that he was speaking in the synagogue, and it is a future role even as we stand here today. It's not a present role. Include even now in the era of history in which we live. His ministry of judgment, his messiahship of judgment has not yet come. Now, this is something important, because I'm just going to be frank with you guys. This is something that's really bothering me in Christianity today. And I see the attitude growing more and more with, with each passing day as the, the world spirals into deeper and, and deeper sin, and, and Christians get more and more agitated by it all. 
I find that the way that, that too many Christians are presenting Jesus as judge and executioner for more, more than they are presenting him as redeemer and savior. As sin grows, we're, we're jumping ahead in our thinking and witnessing to a day of judgment for mankind that has not yet arrived. We're, we're presenting Jesus to people as the one who is going to send them to hell for their sin rather than presenting him as the one who wants to rescue them from it. Now, we need to be very careful about this. We need to be very careful. We need to be careful to present Jesus as he presently is and not to confuse it in people's mind with who he will one day be. Now, this does not mean, and I'm saying this, please pay attention to me here. Please don't attribute words to me that I have not said. This does not mean that we don't speak about sin or that we don't speak about the penalty of sin or that we don't speak about the reality of judgment or of hell itself. You know, despite Jesus make, make, making the statement that he didn't come to judge or condemn, he still spoke of the consequences of sin, and he most certainly spoke about the reality of hell. But he always did so with an outstretched hand, offering redemption from it all. And here, I think, is where the difference is, especially today. We say we only want to talk about judgment for sin and the reality of hell to make people aware so that they'll turn to Jesus for salvation. But, but my sense is that far too often, redemption of sinful men and women is the furthest thing from what's on our hearts and minds. Justice seems to be what's motivating us more and more. The darker the world grows, the more our sense of justice seems to be growing. The desire to see men and women get what they deserve is what's motivating us more and more. We're becoming like the disciples when the people of Samaria failed to respond to their message and they wanted Jesus to call down fire. They wanted to do it in his name. But Jesus' response to them is the same response he says to us who are of the same mind today. Here's what he said in Luke chapter 9, verses 55 through 56. But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Be very careful, folks, that we're not hearing the Lord say this word to us. You don't know what manner of spirit you are. You're trying to destroy when I didn't come to destroy. You're trying to condemn when I didn't come to condemn. As Messiah, Jesus will one day fulfill the role of avenging judge, just as Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2 tells us in its fullness when it's, it's read in its entirety. But as was the case in that moment when Jesus read this passage and intentionally left that statement out, it's because that day of fulfillment has not come yet. And it has not come yet today. Stop trying to make Jesus fulfill a role that is not yet time for him to fulfill, but instead keep presenting him in the role that he did come to fulfill. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. When you look at the characteristics of who Jesus was reaching out to, 
the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. It's not just talking about the, the innocent people that we would look at and say, well, they just don't know the Lord. They're just innocent. They don't understand. But if they hear the gospel, they'll respond. Well, oh, praise the Lord. But you know what? This is we're talking about the hard-hearted person. It's talking about that person who you see burning down buildings right now in parts of the world. It, it refers to the homosexual that's caught up in that. It refers to the drunkard. It refers to the drug addict. It's talking about the people whose hearts may be the hardest of all. And yet Jesus said, this is who I came to liberate. This is who I came for. Do we need to tell them the reality of where their sin will lead them? Yes. But it's not their behaviors that are leading them there. It's their heart, their condition of sin. That's leading them there. The, the other stuff is just the symptoms of where their heart is. Jesus wants to reach their heart. He wants to break them free. And if you and I only go in a condemnational mode to these people in a judgment mode of you're going to get what you deserve, who of us can even say that? But if that's how we go, how will they ever be reached? Yeah, they need to know the truth. They do need to know the truth that it's sin. They do need to know the truth that there's a literal hell. But what they need most is to know the hope of the Savior who died so that they would not have to face an eternity in hell. And verse 22 connects to this. It goes on, it says, So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse -verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.